So Logan Paul doesn't matter. So I'm not going to waste time talking about him. I do think he should give the money that he monetized on his apology video and the original video where he filmed the dead guy. He's an idiot. He did a really dumb thing, but he doesn't matter. So let's stop talking about him. Okay? Welcome back to Classroom Brew. Please grab a beer and take your seats. This is going to be part two from last week with Mike. Welcome back to Classroom Brew. This is the two-parter, part two of two, from Mike, who's current slash former listener that reached out to us and uh, wanted to be on, current teacher teaching in Illinois still. Yeah, yeah. Suburbs. Barely. Barely. Um, <laughs> you got to give yourself more credit than that. No, I mean barely in Illinois where I'm at. Oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. Um, but want to let you guys know about a campaign I'm taking part in called Hashtag Two Pods a Day. Aims to introduce listeners to two independent podcasts every day. Promotion hopes to give visibility to some of the great indie podcasts that you probably haven't heard of. Hashtag two pods a day. Listen more. Listen indie. Find more shows like mine, Classroom Brew, by following hashtag two pods a day on Facebook and Twitter. We're going to be featured this month, January. No idea what week, what day, but we're going to be featured this month. Make sure you check us out. We're on iTunes, Podchaser. Uh, We just got on Stitcher. Also have social media everywhere. To be honest with you, you can just Google us and then we'll be right there for you to... uh, whatever you want to look us up through social media or uh, streaming it. But we ended last week for us. It was a couple minutes ago, but for you guys, it was a whole week, like a nice little cliffhanger for you. But we were just about to talk about Mike's first day, which he said was, he didn't know how he survived it. So I'm going to let you kick us off with that. All right. So my first day I show up and I don't know anybody. I've introduced myself to two people around me. Um, it took me a little while, but I figured out how to access my, no, wait, my first day, I didn't even have email access yet. Um, they hadn't given me a, a login or password. This is the, the first, first teaching job, right? Not like, like my first, first my first classroom, my first yeah. real classroom. And it was amazing to walk in as much as of a wreck as my classroom was. The first 15 minutes I walked in and I just looked around and I said, man, this is my room. If it's just for this year, this is my room. And um, I immediately looked around and I went, oh God, what do I do? <laughs> and it was it was the the experience and the, the thing that ran through my head the most on my first, um, my, my run up to my first day and my first day was, you know, I'm a total fraud. I am not ready for this. I am not prepared for this. And um, I mean, I didn't, I was so unprepared that, I didn't even know which class periods I was teaching. Um, I didn't have a class list. I didn't know. I asked my students when they came in what grade they were. And um, <laughs> I had I, that too, though. I didn't have access to anything. They still had the old teacher listed yeah. on my uh, room and schedule and all that. Yeah, I had nothing. And um, my first day, I was like, okay, I can get through the first day by spending the entire first day talking about myself and the classroom rules. And I, I mean, at one point I was vamping cause I ran out of stuff to talk about in a 45 minute class period. And I was just walking around like, this is this section, stay out of it. This is this section. You <laughs> might find stuff here. I'm like, this is a room. I don't know what it's for and if I'm even allowed to use it, but there it is. <laughs> cause I had like actual, um, I had a recording booth in my first classroom. Oh, really? Because the old teacher had done um, ham radio at some point in time. There was a ham radio antenna and, and wires and stuff in my room. That's kind of cool. There was I no wish ham radio. I had to that. <laughs> yeah. And now, even now with Stranger Things, I probably could get a ham, a ham radio club going. Yeah. 
Um, but, um, and then I had another room that had a drill press and a bandsaw and a, and a belt sander in it. And I had, I didn't know what I was supposed to use those for. I just had them. And I had another, and I had two other small closets that were locked doors that <laughs> I didn't know I had the key for, for a couple of days until I just started oh. testing my key out. What was in it? Uh, it turned out one was an electrical closet. Okay. And, stay um, out. yeah, stay out. <laughs> and one was all of the wood supplies that I was supposed to use from the industrial tech teacher for race cars. Yes. Oh, okay. Very yeah. Specific. Like life size. It was like downhill. Yeah, kind of, but it was uh, CO2, CO2 racers, but yeah. Oh, like the ones on a table with a string in it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they don't fly off, which I found out the strings break and, um, the kid holding the pillow at the end that was supposed to catch it caught the car in the chest. And thankfully everybody Mm. thought it was hilarious because I thought (laughs) I was going, yeah, yeah. I almost put one through a window before (laughs) I knew it was supposed to have a string on it. So yeah, it was, it was a learning experience. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even know where the track was. Um, So, like, that was one of my last projects I did with that class because I'm like, I don't know where any of the materials are. And it took me a while to find what I was supposed to do. I was looking up videos online on how to do it. And, oh, it was a frightening experience. That was was the only one. We had modules when I took industrial tech in middle school. That was the only one I didn't get to do. I got to do plastic, so I got to make a mold of stuff. I got to do the air landing stuff. Never got to do the food food one where you could use, like, um, like solar panels to cook, like, a, a pizza. But I never got to do the car one. That's the one I wanted the most, which made me really sad. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you that after the first time I did it with my kids, that was the first thing I said I'm getting rid of. And <laughs> I was like, I, I told them I was getting rid of it on the, on the basis of cost. And the school's like, oh, okay, we make, that makes sense. If I was like, <laughs> I'm getting rid they, of this on the fact that I don't want to do this. That's the magic wouldn't word. Wouldn't have worked. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know how much that costs? We could, we could so much better use that money. <laughs> like, I hate this. I hate everything about this. <laughs> and... Um, so yeah, I got rid of that unit and, but no, I had nothing and I had no plan. So I'm like, Oh, I'll just tell them about the rules on the first day. And I'm like, what am I going to do on the second day? I don't know. <laughs> we'll <get laughs> so every day I'm just making it up as I go along yeah. and I ended up coming up with some really awesome ideas, but there's quite a few times where like I had them do something and we got to the point where I was like, I don't actually know what the outcome is supposed to be. So yay, we succeeded. <laughs> we did something. Yeah. Did you use the, the recording studio? For no. Anything? Uh, no. I, I used it as a timeout room. Okay. Um, I used it as storage. I used it as all sorts of things. I was going to turn it into my own office, but I realized that I need a a place where I can sit, where I can see the kids and I can't (laughs) have a a door and walls between me and the kids. Yeah, that's probably So I couldn't use it for that. Was it soundproof and everything? Like it had, oh, it was just a room. Yeah. Actually really funny story about it is on, um, 9-11, I do a very special, um, a very special lesson about 9-11, um, I think that most of the lessons that teachers do are kind of hackneyed and they just talk about the history and all the other stuff. Mm. Instead, what I do is I talk about the, um, to use a, a cliched phrase, the triumph of hope, but I, I talk about more or less what I did that day because it was, it still is emblazoned in my memory yeah. as a normal day. But I want the kids to realize that even though terrible things were happening in the world, I, I go through my day and I, 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 9-11 is a backdrop to my day and I want them to see that if they ever face a really bad day, like one really bad day in their life, that the next day the sun will come up and the next day the sun will come up and they can move on from it. And everybody understands the the shared trauma of 9-11 enough that if I use that as an example, on 9-11, it's a, it's a, a vehicle for teaching the kids about overcoming trauma. Hmm. And so that's what I use it for. Yeah. And, um, and I also use it as a way to introduce the ability to talk about trauma because... You know, we're all supposed to bow our heads and say, oh, well, that was that was pretty awful. And yeah, it was. But you can also talk about it. Yeah, that's my empathy builder because we started in September. So we're talking yeah. like 
not even week two. It might have been, it might have, I'm not sure. But that was a great way to start, you know, with empathy, something recent. Some of them remembered it if they yeah. were a senior. None which of is mine weird. Yeah, it was the same middle school. They are born in, what, 2004, 2005? My last group that remembered it, there was a couple kids in eighth grade last year, and that's it. Mm. That, that they didn't even remember it. They were born. None of them remember it. Yeah, which is crazy. I mean, I was in second, third grade, something like that, so it makes sense, but it's just mind-blowing. college. It's mind-blowing, man. Yeah. And... um. So I and I, I I teach the same lesson every year, and um, I always tell the kids, I'm like, listen, hey, if you want to, if this is tough for you, and for some kids it is, I use that that recording studio as a room that I could put them into. I'm like, you guys can go nice. hang out, plan your Chromebook, catch up on homework, do whatever you're gonna do, um, go do that in that room. Well, some of the kids thought it was soundproof, <laughs> and they were they were some of my <laughs> jerks. Like, oh shit! Fuck. Oh, they were yeah, they were screaming, they were yelling, they were acting like fools. And I pretended I couldn't hear them. And I told the class at one point, I'm like, guys, pretend that we can't hear them and let's see how ridiculous they get. Nice. And they <laughs> really went all the way. And I just I just took notes and I wrote them all up afterwards. <laughs> and I, I came out and I told them all to come out when the, when the bell rang. I'm like, I, I need you guys to stay. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I want you guys to sit right here. I'm going to close the door. And then I went into the room and I closed the door and I yelled, the room isn't soundproof. What was, and I, they were I, just I, staring at me through the window. Like, oh, shit. They're like, oh, I got to know what, what's like, what's some of the, if you could give me like a quick little like transcript of it. This class is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, I mean, that was, that was the one that like one of them was just chanting like three times in a row and the kids were dying, trying not to laugh. And, and I want, and as I was talking, I turned my back to look at the board and I responded to my students and I'm like, you're getting written up. <laughs> so it was, it was, you know. I didn't feel like I lost my position as a teacher because the kids in my class who knew what was going on knew that I had it fully under control and I was letting this happen until it went too far. And like, if they would have really like, if they would have just started ripping into kids, like, yeah, anything like that, I would have stopped it, but they were just being dumb. I mean, they actually got bored with it at first. Every so often they would do something, (laughs) but they're like, Oh, he's not responding. I can only swear so often before it's just boring. Yeah. So most of them just ended up doing what kids do naturally when you give them free time is play on their phones and Chromebooks. Yeah. That's the go-to. So, I mean, we were one-to-one district, so we had Chromebooks. Now I'm in a district that's not one-to-one now. And Oh my God, it's like going back in time. It's really painful. Yeah. That's what I student taught in a one-to-one and now I'm, yeah. Not so much. We have a cart, but that's about it. Yeah, I have, I have, I have laptops in my room, but the thing is, is that when the kids have devices, they they actually know what to do with them, they, and they get out of the habit of, oh my god, this is amazing, to the point where they're like, this is just another tool, and they sure. get over the whole let's play games and let's look at shoes online and all this other stuff, and it's the boys who look at shoes online. Yeah, no, seriously, there's a this one kid that I see him written up in other classes. I'm not sure why he does it in. Uh, he'll do it in mine. I guarantee it, but. He'll constantly be on his phone. They'll redirect him, and he's like, oh, I'm shopping. I'm buying something right now. Give me a sec. Oh, I got to do my shipping. It's like, oh, my God. Come on, man. I was in a, I was in a training class over the summer for Project Lead the Way, and the teacher, um, we had demonstrated understanding, but he had to follow a script because it's Project Lead the Way, and that's a very scripted program. And he's like, all right, guys, I'm going to have to tell you about this. He's like, we shouldn't be using the time for it, but I have to do it. So it's going to be on the evaluation that I that, to make sure that I talked about it. So I got to talk about it. And he's like, does anyone have any questions? I'm like, yeah, I'm buying uh, tickets for Macklemore right now. Do you think 35 bucks is too much to pay? <laughs> he's like, okay, seriously? I'm like, <laughs> like strain far, but. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we all know this is bullshit. Yeah, so, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just being honest. I'm, you know, I'm like, actually, I think that's a great price, but like anyone want to go? The, the show's in November, but you know, 
could use some some buddies to yeah go. i mean i made friends with a lot of people in the in the class yeah. and um but yeah so yeah so for that silly little room i just it just <laughs> it was just dead space and it's weird to have a to have a surplus of space that i could have dead space yeah but like i said it was an industrial tech room so it was huge yeah, like yeah. it was 35 feet by I want to say it was thirty five feet by almost forty five feet the room and it was oddly shaped because it was it was an area where I had a a um, elevator shaft and stairs <laughs> nearby so it was it was like it yeah, was like shaped like a puzzle piece shapes. yeah yeah so yeah it was very weird yeah so and that kind of I want to go into this C two E two but I almost forgot I think I was going to mention this a couple weeks ago but someone asked me what I use for uh, technology you talked about the recording studio mm-hmm. we're just in my living right now chilling on some comfy couches with some mic stands. I've got two Samson Q2Us hooked up to a Behringer Euphoria UMC202HD. For any of you that even know what that means, it's just a mixer. It's on Amazon for like 60 bucks. The mics were like 60 bucks a piece. Uh, editing, done in Audacity. Um, that's about it, really. Nothing too sophisticated. Yeah. My hat's off to you. I can't use Audacity. I've <laughs> really tried... And I, 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 I haven't put in the time to learn, but like the same thing when it came to using GIMP, which is a, like a, a free version of Photoshop. Imagine yeah. if you were to get like Photoshop from like five years ago, that's what GIMP is. Mm. And it wasn't until I literally had to use it. Like I had to learn this for the students that I learned to use it. Cause I was like, this is too hard. I just need Photoshop. And <laughs> once I had to use it, I learned it. So I'm assuming that audacity is the same way. Once you really yeah. get it, you got it. Yeah. It's not bad. And it, you can tell in earlier episodes, like hence why episode one is no longer available. Cause it, it was so terrible, but I think it took until like episode five or six. Cause I forgot to, it's called compressing it. Mm-hmm. And so it just maximizes the volume without mm-hmm. peaking. Didn't do that. Cause I didn't know enough about it until then. So now my audio quality is way better than it used to be, but yeah. And it is what it is. I mean, I have to say that, you know, nowadays it's even the, the microphone that comes with an iPhone headset it, is, not bad. is good enough that you can get away with podcasting if you're in a quiet room. It's all yeah. about background noise. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So I've done podcasting myself. I had a podcast called Honest Teacher Podcast, which you've kind of inspired me. I might actually get back to recording this. I was, always cool. thought I had to have somebody to talk to, but you've done some solo episodes. So I think I might start <laughs> doing a few of my own. We'll have to see if anyone actually likes those more than the ones with guests, but yeah, that'd be cool. Is it still, it's, you said it's still available. You yeah. Mine's still, still available. It. Okay. Yeah. It's the you know, last couple podcasts I've posted were just audio recordings from my um, my talks at C two E two. Okay, and um, which I wanted to get. Yeah, we were talking that, about that. Perfect, perfect segue. Segue. So <laughs> that's it for those of you trying to podcast. Work on segues and finding things full circle. But you were talking about, and this is actually how we first got to talking because mm-hmm. you you heard it in one of our episodes early on when you found us on Overcast. Uh, but we were talking about is this career? I think it was the episode with Aisha, mm-hmm. uh, and it was. Is teaching going to be where you are when you retire, or is it a stepping stone? Is it something that you might go into administration, then back, then back to administration, then back? Because some people, they've gone all around. Like I know someone that he's taught in uh, middle and elementary schools and then high schools, and then he went back and he got administrative stuff. He worked in central office. Now he's back teaching. He might go in to become some other administrator somewhere else. It's a cool continuum. It's nice that you can, as long as you're still up on certification, you can go around and around and around. You were kind of talking about how especially with C2E2. You were at a PD and you met these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let you explain what C2E2 well, stands for, but careers yeah. as a stepping stone or maybe this is where we're going to be at the end. You were kind of of the mind of? I'm of the mind that um, if I could make money as a stepping stone from teaching into something that is is in the orbit of teaching but not necessarily in the classroom, um, I would love that. But what happened is um, my first year of teaching, I'd said in my previous 
episode that um, I had a very understanding principal my first year, and I came to him with the most bullshit proposal. I said, <laughs> I really want to go to Comic-Con in Chicago, which is uh, Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo. It's C2E2. It's in the spring. It moves around in months. Um, I, I think this year it's in April. And um, I really want to go. So what I did is I totally tailored my PD request um, I took, I, I gave it just the acronym that it's known as C2E2, and thankfully it was supported by C2E2.com, which is their website. And um, I was like, I want to do this. And I looked on their website, and I saw that some of the panels that they had were very education-focused. I was like, awesome, this is totally going to support my idea. Because mm-hmm. I, was, I was really willing to just pitch it as a, I'm going to go learn about like different you know, ways to introduce material and reading material. When I'm a STEM teacher, what do I, you know, I mean, I, yes, everybody's a reading teacher, but in reality, what am I introducing in STEM that, has, that I really need to go to a PD for reading? Whatever. Um, so I, I talked him into it. And so I go on this Friday, and I was amazed by the amount of educational content that was at a comic convention being presented by these teachers. And it was amazing. They fired me up. I went back, and actually, and that was one of the few PDs where I brought back stuff to my school, and I started going to other teachers. I'm like, did you know this? Can you do that? You can do this. And so much stuff has grown out of it. It's one of the best PDs that I go to every year. So this is like the same, like Persepolis, Mousy, all those things. More than that, though. Um, You know, you can you can really use pop culture, which is is what what it um, what it evolved into is at first it was comics in the classroom but as i got to know the guys who were running it and i, I got to work with them and the two guys who are the lead are um, rana whitaker who's a great teacher on the south side and eric callenborn um and you can find um i think ronnell is you know at mr whitaker on twitter and then eric is at the comic book teacher i believe um, those two guys are the Chicago arm of this organization and a lot of guys work with them mostly Southsiders and um, I represent like 90% of the Northside contingent okay. um, and like the the amount of things that they branched out into and the and the PD that they present and the quality of people they bring in is just absolutely amazing and it really teaches me what um, like well, all the different ways that I can engage my students in a meaningful manner and so I started working with them. They're like, well, we don't have a STEM teacher. You know, if you want to be on that, we're, we're trying to gather a STEM panel. So the first time I get together with them, I'm, I'm actually presenting at C2E2 the following year. I'm invited to come back. Nice. And, um, it's working so, up really fast. Yeah. <laughs> and I find myself sitting on a panel with an Eisner Award winner. Um, and for those of you who don't know what an Eisner is, that's essentially the Oscar of the nerd world. <laughs> it's right up there with like a Hugo for uh, sci-fi writing. And Eisner is, is the Oscar of comic book writing. Um, so I'm up there with a teacher who's a IB chemistry teacher in, in uh, the Carolinas. I want to say North Carolina. And um, his name is Matt Brady, and he runs a, a website called The Science Of. And then there's me, and then there's this other guy who's a math teacher out in Indiana, Jim McLean, and he's got his own comic book series called Solution Squad where he's gives these lesson plans to teachers, and, they, and it teaches common core math. And I'm up there, and I'm like, I make stuff. <laughs> I'm like, oh, uh, shit, now i got to yeah. fake it till I make it. Well, that's another thing. I got up there, and I'm like, I'm not prepared for this. I am <laughs> so not qualified to be here. I am a total phony and they'll know instantly. But once I got to talking about what I did, a lot of the questions came my way because all the other guys teach conceptually and I was one of the only people up there who taught physically. I'm like, I, I, I teach kids to turn garbage into robots. And people are like, wait, how do you do That's that? That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm like, I go to Goodwill and I buy anything with a motor in it and then we just turn it into stuff. I'm like, you can buy a broken alarm clock for 25 cents at Goodwill and there's a lot of good parts in there. I'm like, there's a, you know, there's a number LCD display, there's a nine volt battery harness and people are like taking notes and they're coming to me afterwards and talking to me. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is amazing. 
and um, and I ended up I ended up speaking, talking to people at the teacher mixer afterwards. And a year later, when I spoke again, um, the same girl came up to me, and it was really funny. Something that can only happen at a comic con. She's like, "I don't know if you remember me." I'm like, "Yeah, you were dressed as Agent Carter last year." And she's like, "Yes." <laughs> I'm like, "I don't remember your name, but I remember what costume you were exactly wearing." What you're wearing. Super That's cool. about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think she was like dressed as Squirrel Girl this year, which is a really obscure character, but I props to her for doing it. And um, and she told me that the advice I gave her during the teacher mixer was the difference between her getting a job and not getting a job. And I was like, oh my God, I made a difference. And it's, it's really amazing um, the impact I've had. I've, I've gone to um, comic conventions and other conventions with this group. Um, they got absorbed into a group called Pop Culture Classroom, which is a large education outfit out of Denver. In fact, Pop Culture Classroom itself is a education outfit that runs their own comic convention, the Denver Comic Con. Oh, that's right. This is what you said. They became big enough that they were able. Yeah, to, yeah. and they're national, and and these guys are representing. Like I, I always call them the the, the Midwest uh, family, and um, these guys are now running PD all over, and it's really an amazing thing to be a part of this program. And I was like, wow, I haven't gotten paid once to do this, and I've actually spent <laughs> I've spent you know between food and travel and everything else, yeah. you know, decent amounts of money to do this. I mean, when I did Denver Comic Con, I flew in that morning, and I flew back out that evening, and oh, yeah, that's. Yeah, brutal, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have enough money to stay anywhere. I'd gotten enough for travel, barely. But when you add in food and time and all the other stuff, um, it was a you know it it was a it was a cost negative. But I've been building a experience and reputation and all that. And I was like, man, if I keep pushing this, I could you know actually turn this into something for real. Hmm. And uh, when I found out I got fired from my school after three years. I was like, I made a website and um, I started, you know, offering PD services to schools that wanted to learn how to set up a STEM lab or a 3D printer or any of those things. And I'm like, I'll even, you know, I was willing to do it for free for people so that they would, so that, you know, I could get a reputation of people saying, yeah, this guy's smart and he knows what he's talking about. You should pay him. And so like, like I was telling you in, in between our break, I'm like, I don't believe people who tell me their titles or people who tell me how great they are. Yeah, I about, believe people about the who practice, tell me what they've done. about the degree. Yeah. Yeah. And I created a website. When you have a website, like I created mine, which is LarryEducation.com. When I, when I created it, you know, I made it look nice. And as soon as you have a website, oh, suddenly you're, nobody knows the difference between you or any other professional outfit out there. They don't know that I'm one person or if I'm 30 people. Yeah. It's like, well, you said your car, it shows owner on it, which is smart and you got a yeah. cool qr code and all that stuff yeah and you you don't know that anything about it and it's amazing and you know i tell my students i'm like you can tell me what you've learned or you can show me what you've made and it's always much more impressive to show me what you've made right and you know it's also part of education is when parents want to know what the value of your class is their kids come home with you know an electronics product they made well that's impressive to a parent if I, they're like i learned how resistors and transistors work their parents are like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> Right, too philosophical, too yeah. abstract, and then and the kid's like, "Hey, I made this website. Oh, that's really neat. You know, it's something you can show off. You got to show off the shiny things, right?" And which I resisted doing at first, but that's it's a reality. You have to you have to have a value that you give back, and it's got to be something tangible. And a grade isn't for the kid; it's for the parents, and that's their tangible product. Um, the the tangible product for the kids, whatever they will have, they'll find in a box when they're twenty five and cleaning out their house because they're moving in with their spouse or whatever. And they're like, oh man, I made that in eighth grade. That was super cool. Right. I'm going to keep that. That's that's the kind of thing I always hope to have the kids make. Yeah. I'm trying to get into a unit where we're doing, because I teach social studies. So mm -hmm. they're doing a, well, I'm doing a unit in my U.S. classes where it's all about America's changing demographics. So mm -hmm. we're a nation of immigrants, salable, melting pot, whatever you want to call it, depending on what year it is. But I want to do an interview where, and if they do it with like a recording device, even if it's their phone, because I know they all have them, unfortunately, but 
I want them to do like some sort of interview. And even if it's, even if it's like, I don't know where we come from. Like, I don't know how we got to the U S this is why we're in Chicago or this is, we've been here our whole mm-hmm. lives, whatever, even if it's yeah. something very direct. And I hope that's something that they can take it and maybe they'll keep it or something like that and stumble across it, you know, on a time hop or something like that and be yeah. like, Oh, this is great. And I also have this recording of this family member. We'll the see te- how it works, but yeah, the technology integration specialist in me is like jumping all over. I'm like, okay, you can use <laughs> a Google form, which you can then import into a Google map and they can make an interactive system Ooh. that's like pins. And I'm like, also there's a, there's another podcast through, I think it's NPR or whatever. It's called StoryCorps that has an app called the great American listen that allows, gives kids interview tips and allows them to record and it gets uploaded to the library of Congress. The American listen, the great American listen is through okay. StoryCorps podcast. And it used to be these booths they would set up at like stations and people would schedule to come in and tell stories. It's amazing. It's, if you listen to the podcast, though, you'll cry a lot. So just beware. <laughs> Got to watch out for that. Yeah, it's it's like I'm a I'm a cold hearted like dead inside person, and I cry a lot for this podcast. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, and yes, I mean, and that's the thing is, as like as a teacher, like I, I always felt like a fraud because as a new teacher, these people would be saying to me, "Oh, I wish this that," and I and I would jump up and I'd be like, "Yes, you can." So here's how we do it. Mm. And then they would look at me. They're like, "No, I was just saying I wish. I didn't actually want to do it." I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's like cool. We can do it. this. It's practical, yeah. It's yeah. And they're always like, yeah, you're young. And that actually gets me to how I got to to thinking I could work something beyond education to bring it back is one of the teachers I would do that to all the time um, was joking. And we were we would stand in the hallway, you know, actively monitoring, active, active, um, active hallway management. <laughs> yeah, and go. we would stand there. I mean, we were very active. We were, we were the only people in the area that would watch the kids so much so that the kids would hang out everywhere but where we stood. <laughs> Doing it, doing it right. Oh yeah, you're deterring. There was, there was a bubble <laughs> around us where the kids were just like, "Nope, they're watching." And that's also where I get some of my good, uh, my good content. Like that kid that who gonna fuck the bitches up in the hallway. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh Jesus. Like at the same time, it makes me like you know when you just kind of put your hand in your or your head in your hand and you're like, "Oh Jesus Christ, where are we yeah. going?" But I have a where I actively monitor now. I have a um, an archway over the door that has um, ridges, so the kids will jump up and grab. Uh-huh. So what I did is I started, I don't chew gum, but what I did is I went and I got a pack of gum and I chewed a bunch of gum and I stuck it on the ridge above the doorway. Nice, nice. And so now I've stopped it because they'll reach up there, they'll grab and they're like, oh, oh. Because <laughs> you can't do those things like you have for birds where yeah. you put the spikes. You got to, yeah. I like it. I, mean, I thought about the spikes thing, but <laughs> apparently that's not nice. Couldn't get funding for it. Yeah. Damn. So you do electricity, but it kept shorting out. But, <laughs> yeah. Like it's uh, cost effective though. We got to yeah, pay for this. Like, All right. I just tap right in. <laughs> but, um, but no, like it was, it was a simple... And I told the janitor, I'm like, I'm going to put gum up there. And she's like, you're going to do what? I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to clean it down and I'm going to chew gum and I'm going to stick gum up there to keep the kids from jumping up and grabbing it. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah. And then I found out later that it was effective. Like I, I told her, I'm like, yeah, the kids aren't doing it anymore. Uh, she actually went and did it to a bunch of the other ones. She put like nice. one or two pieces of gum on each one. So you inspired her. Yeah. And I mean, it's a stupid solution, but. It, if it works. I could yell at them all day to stay off of there, yeah. but broken yeah, records so. type of thing. But hey, whatever works, right? Yeah. Do you think you would ever like you talked about like so obviously C two E two you're going to pursue that in terms yeah. of do you think you would ever start your podcast and try to monetize it related to education stuff? No, or? I don't think that. And and sorry to crush your hopes, but I don't think <laughs> that fine. anybody can monetize a podcast. Um, nowadays, any new podcast, I don't think that you can monetize them mm-hmm. to earn much more than. Um, you know, hosting costs and yeah. 
No, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm so sick of paying hosting costs that I'm trying to figure out how to host off my own server, but I'm afraid that it's going to kill me on bandwidth. Sure. So paying the 150 bucks to SoundCloud a year is just for me just a tax. Well, you do it through SoundCloud. Yeah, I've okay. I've considered switching off there, but I'm always afraid of if I switch servers that it's going to re-download the podcast to everybody's yeah, phone, and that always pisses me off when it's it really dangerous to do that. I even I just up I changed the feed name. Yep, uh, and, and that I got you get them all. Yeah, that's that actually how I listen to your back catalog. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, yeah. in that way, yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, oh wow, they're all here. Oh, there's not many of them. I'll listen to them. There you go. And um, but no, so I was standing outside this this classroom, and this teacher says to me, she's like, she was complaining about something. She's like, yeah, we're all going to die here, and. Like, she's overly dramatic, of <laughs> yeah, course. But like she meant in education, not like the school's going to fall on her head. Although oh, that okay. was a possibility. Even still, what a, what an optimist, right? Yeah, she's like, except <laughs> yeah. for Mike. Mike, he's gonna he's gonna get some fancy job somewhere else. Somebody's gonna pick him up. He's gonna do something amazing. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> she's like, yeah, you're you're gonna you're gonna go off. And she's like, you're always doing talks and you're always doing these fancy things. She's like, you're gonna go off and be you know somebody that we pay to talk to three grand to talk to us at the beginning of the year for a pep talk. I'm like, wait, you can do that? How much do they make? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and like I sat on that. I'm like, oh, that was very sweet of her to say that. And then I was sitting on the idea, and I was like, well, why not me? And I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. And Kevin Smith says, if you want to be a writer, you're a writer. Start writing. If you want to be a whatever, you are it. Just tell yourself you're that and start doing it. And I'm like, well, I want to be a person who gets paid to talk about how awesome education is because I've been doing it for free around all these teachers that don't want to listen to me. I'm like, imagine yeah. if I got paid to people who, who did. Yeah. And then later that year, I was at the ICE convention, which is the Illinois Computer Educators Convention. And I showed up to a talk that I was really excited about. It was like one of the few that day where I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And because I'm like, I really need to learn about this. It was about like how to make more out of makey makeys and stuff like that, which are these stupid project boards. And I was like, I'm at a loss. I'm like, I can do the things that are in the example video and I can't think of anything else. And I, I challenged the kids. I was like, hey guys, part of your unit for doing makey makeys is to come up with something that's not in an example, to come up with an entirely new way of using it. And they weren't good at it either. <laughs> and um, I had a few good ones, but nothing I could really build off of. Sure. And so I was like, I can't wait to go to this talk at ICE. This person's going to give me so many good ideas. And I had like two others like that and they were both bombs. So I get to the third one. I'm like, this person better be good. And I get there and it's like three minutes after the talk's supposed to start and I'm looking around. Nobody's there. And I'm like, all right, so nobody, this person's running late. No big deal. And then it's like 10 minutes after the talk's supposed to start and I go to the back of the room. I'm like, this person didn't show up, did they? And the, the docent or whatever you'd call it, the, the person guiding it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're trying to find him. I'm like, any objection <laughs> To me, just you know, like asking questions of, to people until the person gets here. They're like, are you going to talk? I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't have anything to say. I just want to ask people questions. And they're like, no, whatever. And so I got up there and I'm like, hey, guys. So it looks like the person's not here and I am not your speaker. But my question is, what are you using in your classroom and how are you using it? What technology are you using in your classroom and how is it going? And I got answers back. I'm like, that's really cool. I'm like, I'm using this and it works that way. And so I opened up a dialogue and the next thing I knew, the person in the back is holding up three, telling me there's three minutes left in the time. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> well, the session's almost over, guys. Thanks for staying with me. Uh, we had a great talk. Yeah, you made, like, it, made it productive somehow, right? Yeah. And like most of the people stayed and somebody actually went into the, um, into the, into the Google Doc for that talk and changed the presenter to my name and put my info on there and I didn't even realize it. Uh, the person actually bothered to Google me online, get my Twitter info, and put it into the thing for the presenter. And I was like, oh, cool. That's and a this pretty year. big stepping stone. That makes sense then why you were thinking, oh, maybe this would be a stepping stone for yeah. whatever's yeah. next. But that's pretty The cool. thing is that most of the you do, you don't get paid for. 
Yeah. But I found out that people who have a lot of connections can turn themselves into a PD outfit where you go to schools and you give PD and they get a ton of money. You get um, about $100 an hour. And Ooh. because of what they do is they put your prep time into your, into your cost. So if I'm there for mm-hmm. a day, yeah. if I'm there for an eight-hour day giving PD, you know, I'll be making 800 bucks. Well, that's pretty decent. I can do that. You know, I can take a day off from work to do that and things like that. And um, so I was doing it. I'm like, man, I, like I would love to see the transition. And then over the summer, I was speaking at the American Library Association annual conference in Chicago. And I was so blessed to be on the stage with Gene uh, Lu and Yang, who is the author of American Born Chinese. Uh, oh, his okay. his his writing is probably below where your kids are at, but he's a really great author. Um well, to be honest, they're they're definitely below reading level. So, well, if, you explore again, it. Yeah. if you're looking for your unit on 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 um, immigrants and their travels, American Born Chinese is your yeah, book. Exactly, as uh, and it's also a graphic novel, so it ties back to C two E two. There you go, and I can do it early on too because we're starting with Transcontinental Railroad, and that's right. Chinese immigrants. Anyway, there you go. And um, so I, I was up on the stage with him, and he and, and then I was talking to him afterwards, and I'm like, man, I want to I want to do what you do. Because he used to be the same type of teacher I was. He used to be a technology teacher. He used to do all the same stuff I did. He was out in California. He's like, yeah, dude, but I've been, I wrote American Born Chinese in like 2010. I'm like, yeah, that's great. He's like, but it was only a year or two ago that I actually got to quit teaching. Like, even though he was a famous author and he's written dozens of books and he's been on, you know, he's he's got this great thing. He's like, he couldn't quit teaching. Mm-hmm. And at first I was totally disheartened by that. And I'm like, <laughs> understandable. Yeah. I'm like, well, wait, well, I was like, well, he did get to quit. That's cool. I'm like, but he also got to do what he loved. And, and I found out that he was also a writer for DC comics and I read his run on new Superman and it's amazing. And it's, it's very culturally relevant and all this other stuff. And I'm like, so he's a teacher, but he also gets to do what he loves and gets paid for it. And he's making enough money that's extra that he eventually got to quit. So that means there's money in it. You just, you know, and it's, it's like they always say, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Yeah. That sounds about right. So, um, that's why it's that. And so that's how I transferred from like, I was like, okay, I can do more. But I realized looking around in my first three years, um, with my own classroom and my own school is that, um, the second career teachers that were around me were the ones who were doing the most innovation. Because and, it, and this is my own personal like retrospective, like looking back on things and how we got there, is that the teachers who went to college to be a teacher, like they started out day one, I'm going to be a teacher, have been institutionalized. They went to school, they knew school, they thought they were so good at school, they could do school again as a teacher <laughs> and behind the big desk. And that's the school they've always known. And that's the problem is that we've taught education for 200 years the same way with kids sitting in line, getting a paper on, you know, instruction on monday and tuesday get a assignment on wednesday you know review it on thursday test on friday hand it back eventually whenever the teacher gets around to grading it a week or two later and you forget about it and then we just rinse and repeat over and over again right for every unit and i and that's up to the present day too like the students i have now they're shocked that that's not what the the norm is in my class too so it's not like it's an old thing that we've gotten over it's still happening yeah and um, I was a failure. I, like I said, I graduated eighth from the bottom of my class in high school. I was a complete failure at it. I sucked at being a student. And when I designed my classroom in a way that I would have liked to have as a teacher or as a student, I designed it as a teacher. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. You know, I had 40 different units going, but I had kids who were following their interests. It was interest-based learning. And I had students who would go beyond um, the lessons I was teaching in class. And they'd say, hey, this is cool, but you stopped there. Can I make more? 
I had a student who thought my programming unit was really awesome. My programming one and two was great. He did it in sixth and seventh grade. Or he did both units. He did the, the one and two in sixth grade in one quarter, which is actually meant to be do, done across two years. And um, he's like, I want to do more. I'm like, all right. So between when you leave me in sixth grade and when you come back in seventh grade, I'm like, I want you to give me a proposal. Give me something that you'd like to make. And so he came to me in seventh grade and he said, I want to I want to learn to make mods for Minecraft. And the immediate, the, the teacher brain said, uh, video games, mm, this kid just wants to play video games in class. But the, the, the real, the, the innovator in me was like, yeah, but he wants to program to make the video games. And I looked into it. I'm like, this is hard. This is not easy to do. I'm like, all right, you can do it. But here's the deal. I'm only going to, you're going to work on this project the entire quarter. You don't have to work on any other unit, but by the end of it, you have to give me, you know, you have to set out essentially a unit, like a, an education unit that would take somebody five weeks to complete. And you have to give me their, you have to give me what their product has to be. You have to give me the expectations. You have to give me the rubric. You have to give me the instructions. And the funny thing is the video instructions he created were him explaining to somebody who sounds like an idiot how to make <laughs> programs, how to make mods in Minecraft, which was me. He was explaining it to me. <laughs> and um, he edited his videos to make them to make them accessible for the students. Concise. He included he included screenshots. He included everything else, and um, he even made the 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 grading criteria, the expectations, and all that stuff. And by the end of it, I had a really high quality, very popular unit that kids aspire to because it was a Minecraft unit. Kids went to the programming. Um, section and did one and two so they could do his number three. And I plastered his little picture up there and he was so proud of it because yeah, he, he was creating learning. So is are these, like, do you see all students or are these like the highly motivated students that they said, oh, oh there's a programming slash STEM program. I want to be in that. Or all is of this, them. Okay. I got all of them because we only had five, um, we only had five electives and I had, um, we had four quarters that we taught. So, we'd yeah, teach so you're bound this. to see them between sixth, yeah. seventh and eighth. Yeah, I would see them. I would, some kids I would miss, but in eighth grade, they were either in all year foreign language or they had each of the remaining four electives. Sure. And so I, if they didn't make a foreign language, I would have them. And um, in in doing so, I you know I, I had everybody. And the one thing I found is that my system actually the kids who were the first year when I had them those first two quarters when I was doing it just a straight linear teaching like we've always done it. And that's that's why I always say the most dangerous words are that's not how we've always, that's not how we've always done it. <laughs> and you hear that a lot too in education. Nothing's more destructive than that phrase. Yeah. And um, those the kids who had it first too provided a baseline for data for me. And when they came back to me the next year, those kids when they had my class went from being F and D students to being A and B students. And the kids who were good did well. They didn't do amazing, but they usually did very well. Right. Well, but they the, they know how to be a good student. So they're yeah. just going to get through it, and then. But the you inspire the other ones. Yeah. The kids who didn't do well because they couldn't take a linear program excelled. And it was so amazing. And the students who um, – the students with um, with mental differentiation had their own issues. And I had everybody in my class. I had emotional disorders. I had autistic students. I had all the different levels of types of students you could have that my school building had. I had them in my class. And by having a flexible system, it allowed me to – to differentiate expectations as well as levels of instruction for the students. Yeah. And it worked out amazing. And I saw improvement across the board so much so that in my third year teaching it, my administrator didn't believe my grades 
because most of my students were A and B students until he came into my room and tested them on expectations of what they learned and found that they knew more than he did. And he was <laughs> like, okay, that's good. He's like, I, I guess you, and he, he targeted, he knew which kids to go for that were fakers and the kids who are low, low grades elsewhere. And they, they held up to scrutiny. So it was a great program, but like I said, it was exhausting. And that's, I mean, where I'm at now, um, I, when I, when I was, when I was let go, I was like, okay, I'm going to go into another STEM program. And it was difficult. I was willing to go anywhere. Um, and I ended up, that's why you said you still teach in Illinois. I'm like, well, kind of, I am my school right now is like 1.3 miles from the border of Wisconsin. Okay. And so like I can stand on my roof and I can see Wisconsin. So it's, <laughs> what was that? Uh, I can see rush from, my yeah, house. I can see Russia from my house. I can see Wisconsin <laughs> from my house. And, um, so I, I teach there now and they have a project lead the way program, which I was like, Oh look, that's what I used to teach, but like organized <laughs> somebody's already made the lessons for me. And it is a very, and the, and the problem I ran into is the same problem I've run into in the past. I taught the first trimester cause we teach, we do three trimesters instead of quarters. And I taught the first trimester exactly the way they wanted to teach me in a linear fashion. And it tanked. Yeah, I'm teaching awesome. this trimester exactly how I think the kids would like it. And it's, we're excelling. So it's, I, I have to be myself. And I think that any program where I'd be locked into, I would, I would struggle to make it through a year in as long as I have the flexibility to be myself. And some of the other teachers who are core teachers in my building are locked into a program where they have to do this lessons during this week and they have to, te- they have to use this worksheet. And it's so locked in that, I mean, it's everything short of telling you, say this word and then smile at the end. And then they yeah. just pause and smile. That's how I feel sometimes, to be honest with you. Like I, I have a little more flexibility than that, but there are certain things I need to do. And some of it's good, to be honest, like reparations for the city of Chicago with John Burge. Yeah. where he was torturing people and stuff like that. I like that unit, actually. Again. But there's other stuff I don't like as much as reparations that I still have to do. There's a uh, there's a large chapter in ta Coates' book, um, We Were Eight Years in Power, about the different ideas of reparations and different ways reparations could be calculated and the different ways it could be implemented and the different ways that the term reparations has been used that you may want to look at for your students. Yeah. It's a... Um, it's... Coates writes for The Atlantic, so I would say it's it's... The reading level might be advanced for your students, but I think that if you took excerpts and and explained it well, you could you could definitely yeah. present it from a modern author that they might recognize the name of. He's um, he was the writer who also wrote the most recent Marvel run on Black Panther. Okay, yeah, and I spend most of my time differentiating the readings, anyways. And to be honest, there's times where I'll take a quote and rework it entirely, but as long as it gets the message across, right? But yeah, yeah that's something that I could look into. That, my, I'm trying to decide when I want to do that unit, but it's, yeah, my it's soon. right now are working on um, Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, as an adult who's fairly literate, I struggle with that one. Shakespeare, it's tough. It's and I remember too. I had a teacher that uh, he won't find this podcast. He's been retired for years, but his way of teaching Shakespeare was to make sure we had the right, you know, like pace tone. and tone, things like that. And so this was a first period class, <gasps> and he just did audiobooks of it and we had to follow awesome. along and in theory it sounds great but we would have practices two-a-day practices sometimes during the school year mm, you're exhausted exhausted and so don't get enough sleep and then you're doing homework and then when you finally get to school you got to listen to some boring voice it wasn't yeah. if it was james earl jones sure i'm in or I'm in a, recording or something like that. yeah yeah something like that but it was one voice doing everything oh, no. boring voice and I, I think he was just in the back it was his last year before retiring i think he yeah. was in the back just reading or doing something else maybe it was grading i'm not sure i Nowadays, fell asleep every playing time. on your phone yeah yeah exactly um i don't even know if he he probably still had a flip phone although my dad has a flip phone it's 2018 but yeah but i always fell asleep because 
Shakespeare is hard, let alone if it's something you can't engage with and there isn't that effort from the teacher. So yeah, I have a, I mean, I have a deep love of Shakespeare and I've always struggled at Midsummer Night's Dream. I get mm-hmm. it. I understand it, but it's such a, it is such a layered story. Yeah. And then I introduced my <laughs> students to No Fear Shakespeare, which is a, okay. a, it translates all the Shakespeare plays into, into modern, modern parlance. Uh, uh, Tom Hanks was part of that effort, right? Like he was one know. of the people that was trying to promote it because he's big on I, I have no idea, but I know that it's great. And my students were like, they just fell out of their chairs with excitement when they saw it. And then I got yelled at because I was dumbing it down. I'm like, I'm not dumbing it down. You're not raising it up. And which is never the right tone to take with somebody when they're already mad at you. As little waves as possible. But if you got to advocate for your, that's the only time I will ever, I usually stay in my room and try to, as a first year teacher, just stay out of the way. I know I've got other experience, but no one's going to recognize that. So I try to stay out of the way and do my thing. But if it's something that's going to negatively impact the students, that's when I'm going to raise my voice. Yeah, you kind of have to. Yeah, you're still. I mean, you're still at your first. Like, you're still at your first school, your first classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, having changed schools, I got to tell you, it's it's rough. And and this is something we talked about is that you know I'm I went from having a one to one classroom to now I have t- I have computers and now they you know but they don't all the time and they act weird. And and the the focus of the district changing. The thing you don't realize when you change districts is when you were new, you were really eager to learn all the idiosyncrasies of the district. When you it was your first classroom, you wanted to know how to be the teacher in that building. But when you get into your second or third school, you get in there and you're like, oh man, you know, oh we used to do it this way, and you can't think like that because, you know, you're the new guy. You have to adapt right. to their system. And I and nobody, everyone's like, oh yeah, you're an experienced teacher. You know what to do. Nobody told me what to do. Like I had so many times where I was like, I don't know what's going on. And, um, it was, it was really rough to go to a new school. And then I have so many of my own personal, um, idiosyncrasies that this new school has, has broken in me. Um, I'm a big info security person. This is my horror story because you said, you know, you have a good horror story. Yes, this is it right here. (laughs) I am an info security nut. In fact, I, um, am the, I am the team coach for the Cyber Patriot team in my building, which is a a national program teaching students cybersecurity skills, and they're teach they're they're learning defensive security, and it's a really great program um, through the Air Force. And so, I mean, obviously, I don't joke around when I take information security seriously. In schools, we should because we have all of the information, home address, social security number, everything for these kids who haven't established IDs yet. They are a they are a criminal's dream for what they want, for the information they want to steal. There's a repository of it. And there's a school district um, in the northwest suburbs of McHenry who last year had a spear phishing attack where somebody sent all the secretaries an email pretending to be somebody within the, um, within the district uh. requesting the, uh, the, the database copy of uh. all the student information. And one of the, one of the secretaries exfiltrated it without a question. Swoop. Jesus. So all the student information is compromised. Oh my God. And it was public and it was a real small piece in the paper. And nobody said anything about it. And I saw it and I just about fell out of my chair. Hmm. Um, so it's very serious because these are kids who don't have a driver's license picture on file and you can get a, you know, with them, you can get a, a, a birth certificate by mail. And, um, so with a lot of those things you have, you have to be concerned about what, you know, what kind of information. And we have FERPA and we have COPA, which is supposed to keep student privacy. Well, my district is not following any of those rules. We had, we had, um, 
pep talk presenters who were taking pictures of the entire gym assembly of all the students. Like I'm putting mm. this up on Instagram right now. I'm like, nope. some of those kids are no pictures. Oh my God. Oh, oh yeah. You've just violated like federal law. <laughs> cool. And my administration smiling in the background. Awesome. Oh God. We broke so many laws. That's cringeworthy. Yeah. Well so then there's even teachers on Instagram that are better. Like they'll put an emoji over the face and yeah. they know it. How do yeah. these higher up people that should know it because they actually have access to that not be aware of what they should be doing? And I pointed it out to them and they're like, oh, it's not a big deal. Nobody will see it. <laughs> no, but that's, nobody will see it. That's, nobody will see it. I'm like, yes. I'm like as, a, as an InfoSec person, I can tell you that somebody who wants to will find it and that's not good. And um, so I, got, I get super nervous about that stuff and I, I'm, and I don't want to be the person as a new guy who's pointing out all the things you're doing wrong because then you're just a jerk and nobody <laughs> likes you. And I already hide in my room so everyone thinks I'm a weirdo to begin with. And... Um, so then one day I get an email and it's like, yeah, here's this program that we use and here's your, here's your login information. And I open up the PDF and it is a master list of all the usernames and passwords. Not just for that email pro- or not for, just for that program we had to use as teachers, but my school um, provides you your password and doesn't allow you to change it. And they have um, a, one of the biggest sins in InfoSec is what's called password reuse. So, we use the same login and password for everything, uh, for our email, for accessing the network, for accessing the once. grade books. So you get popped once as a teacher, everything's accessible. That's just one teacher. This is an unencrypted, unpassword protected PDF that could be on every system that includes the district's, um, the district's like homepage access and all that stuff. Anybody who has a malicious intent, including a teacher, imagine if I have beef with a teacher and... Yeah. I can just log into the computer and start sending, you know, hate mail to people using their account. I can do it. And with having everybody's usernames and passwords, that's, uh, that was frightening to me. So I brought the attention, uh, brought this to the attention of my principal. And this is like, I want to say in late September and nothing, there was nothing mentioned. I'm like, mm. okay, well, I'm the new guy who's not going to make a big deal out of this. I think it's a terrible idea. And then just recently it happened again. So I was like, here's the updated list. It includes all the administration, all the teachers, all the everybody's passwords and logins, and they're all the default ones. <sighs> and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, this is the second time it happened. And then I'm like, oh, I look at my schedule, and I'm like, hey, I have a meeting because I'm on a committee, a committee for technology, and I'm like, oh, cool, I have a meeting with the, the district's head tech guy. And oh, I mean, yeah. he and I Perfect had our interests, and I'm like, yeah. So I, I, I sidled up to him after the meeting. I'm like, hey, you have access to group policy, right? And he looks at me, he's like, like I just said the magic word of somebody who <laughs> A, knows what they're talking about, B, could potentially cause you trouble. Because um, group policy is essentially like the having the, the, the master key to all the technology accounts and everything. He's like, yeah. I'm like, can you force a password reset on everything? He's like, I can, but I won't. And so I show him I, the email and I forward it to him so he has a copy of it. And I'm like, okay, this is going to solve everything. We're, we're going to get this taken care of. Because he, he knew how bad it was. Yeah. Turns out he's not allowed to change the passwords. The district likes it the way it is. And they, they're everything short of having them written down on a post-it note next to the computer. So it's going to literally take a, some sort of crisis to finally get them to change. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that when I get into my master's class, um, one of the assignments will be to see what, because I'm doing a master's on uh, technology integration specialist. One of them will be to see what your district's, um, um, I, I call it a red line plan, um, what their disaster recovery plan is mm-hmm. for for cybersecurity breach. Yeah. Because I, I, then I'll have a reason to ask to see it um, because I think they don't have one. And I think that, 
and as, as again, as a new teacher, like it's my horror story. It's not a student. It's the teachers. And I've had students hack the system before um, without having that kind of stuff laying around. I mean, we have teachers who print off stuff like that and they'll leave it in the printer tray that the, t- that the <laughs> students use. The students who get their prints get it from the same printer that the teachers get theirs from. Imagine some student comes across this waiting for their you know, picture of Little Yachty to print off. Because <laughs> that's 90% of what I see in the printer the tray from students. <laughs> sounds about right, yeah. And um, so I'm like, okay, some student picks this up. He now has a master list of all the usernames and passwords. All he has to do is just go to Power Teacher. He has to do a, go, and he could log in. He could pull all the 504 information. He could pull all the IEP information. He could pull all the stuff that's on the networked hard drives in class. He could log in as any teacher, any anything. I mean, I got emailed a master list of all the student login and passwords. And I'm like, I don't have these students. I'm like, according to FERPA and COPA, I shouldn't have their information mm-hmm. unless I have them. They're like, well, you might have them down the road, so keep it. <laughs> I'm like, you got such to be out of your mind. Asked. Yeah, Jesus. That's like the... Uh, it is the worst case scenario. Yeah, to be like, honest. Yeah, it is really the worst case scenario for... And they're so bad about like information security. Like That's my that's my horror story as a teacher. I, I'm like, you guys are like in 1990s for your security program. Because when I was in high school, we had this, this program called Foolproof on the computers. And I was such a bad student. I was such a jerk that I got put in a stu- uh, study hall by myself. What? I was a troublemaker. <laughs> and before, like before most of us were back yeah. when we were in school. Before people knew what the word goth was, I was goth. I had actually <laughs> yeah. organized a protest in my school and uh, gotten a bunch of people uh, suspended. I was a troublemaker. <laughs> so they isolated me so I wouldn't cause more trouble. And so they put me in a, a computer lab with a teacher who was on their lunch break. And um, so I had unfettered access to the computers all the time back in the in like i want to say 97 98 and they had foolproof as a security system to stop me from doing things i wasn't supposed to so eventually one day i just uninstalled it that was it that was the security they had in the in the mid 90s nice. i just uninstalled it wow so my how far they've come yeah and i'm like there's kids who are going to bypass it i'm like i'm on the network now and i've bypassed most of the security just to teach my class so i always feel bad about that yeah, but that's my horror story it. in a nutshell <laughs> well i think See, and it's kind of cool, too, because we have not had a STEM or information technology type of teacher on yet. So that's a good, uh, yeah. good perspective to have. They're weirdos for a reason. They're expensive. It's, it, but here's the thing. And this is what I always tell people when it comes to STEM. You can spend as much or as little on it as you want. There is everything you could ever need out there for you for free online through in-app browsing. If you want to teach a 3D printing program but you don't have a 3D printer, then you can teach using a program called Tinkercad. Um, Tinkercad is a a small like fork of Autodesk, mm-hmm. which is for free and available and has lessons and can guide you through. It's almost like a pre-made unit to teach you how to use 3D imaging. And it's great because I've actually taught, um, I'll use 3D printing to teach life skills because one of the things they do is the students will build their design, but they'll never look at it from a different angle from the camera. And so I use it as a life skill. I'm like, hey guys, mm-hmm. you all made this pawn and the pawn looks messed up. And so... How about what happens when you look at it from a different perspective? Oh, and I'm like, how does this apply to life? Like, that's my favorite nice. thing to teach aside from STEM is to teach, like, the, to talk to students. And I have kids who are trying to get into my, um, my homeroom class because they're like, you actually answer our questions and talk to us instead of just make us do, like, the reading practice and the other stuff and homework. They're like, mm-hmm. you actually, you show us respect. And I try to, I try to do that with my students because I came and they, they were making fun of somebody for his clothes one day. And I'm like, who knows what I wear? What, what do I wear? You only remember if I wear something that is impressive. But if I wear something that's from Goodwill, you'll never know it. Like, how do you, uh, I'm like, almost all of the polos I have are from Goodwill. 
I'm like most of the pants I have are from Goodwill. I'm like I spend money on my shoes because I'm on my feet. Yeah. But I'm like all of the clothes you see me in are from Goodwill, and you're getting on him for you know not doing this thing. And they're like, well, I'm like, okay, so what do I wear every Monday? And they're like, what? Yeah, I wear all black every Monday. There was a student, and when I was student teaching, who made fun of me because I only had five outfits, and I wore them in order. And I'd always wear all black on Monday, and then I would switch it up and wear khaki pants, and because I only had two pairs of pants, so I would switch black khaki, black khaki, black, and um, so I was I would do that, and and students made wearing all black on Monday. Um, it's it's so many pop culture references that yeah. it just makes me laugh, <laughs> and. I wear black every Monday and not one of you has noticed. I'm like, I guess he does. Like, and, I'm, and I use that as a lesson. It was just one of the many things where I'm like, I listen to what they're talking about and I, and I try to teach them empathy or I try to teach them like compassion or understanding or even just, you know, realism. Like life sucks. Here's the deal. <laughs> yeah. That's the hardest thing so, to teach them, but it's the most important yeah. to be honest. And it's like we were talking about it. I'm like, I tell them my kids for realism. I'm like, listen, here's the deal you're going to make mistakes online and they're going to haunt you because the people who you're going to apply to for college or a job or whatever are looking for a reason to eliminate you, not hire you. There's lots of good people they can hire. They're not looking to hire you. They're looking to eliminate you. They're just going to hire the person that they can find the least wrong with. Yeah. It's a good way to, a realistic way to kind of round it out, which is good. Did you have anything that you wanted to uh, plug, by the way? I almost forgot. Oh, um, I mean, for myself, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Espinos. It's spelled E-S-P-I-N as in Nancy, O-S. You can find me at layer, edu- uh, layer 8, the number 8, education.com. Um, you can just find me in a handful of places. I'm not actually that active on social media, but I on Twitter I am. There's a lot of, in fact, you were talking about how you're just getting interested in Twitter. You should participate in hashtag talks, depending on what your interest is, mm. because teachers will get together on certain nights a week and they'll have an entire conversation through hashtags, like questions will be asked and things like that. And it's really a great PD that's given me more ideas. It's almost like the hallway conversations we have with teachers where we get ideas, yeah, yeah. but online. And it's nice because you can do it while drinking at home. There, yeah, there you go. And just another great, that could be an episode that we do on here, to be honest with you. Yeah. And then beyond that, I mean, just come see me at C2E2. If you see me, I'm usually on the days I talk, I'm not dressed up as anything. Um, <laughs> you can see me at ICE. I'll be at the Illinois Computer Educators um, Conference talking on Wednesday, first thing in the morning. I'll be doing, um, I think, personalized learning. So something like that. Yeah. It'll cool. be fun. Nice. All right. Well, Mike, thank you for being on. You think you'd ever want to be on again, potentially? For oh, yeah. I'm, I'm cool. always around. That'd be awesome. So this was episode 17. It was a two-parter. This is part two of two of Classroom Brew. Uh, But again, thank you guys for listening. Make sure you guys are rating, reviewing, all that stuff. Check out that hashtag two pods a day promo. Again, just Google us, but we've got an Instagram at Classroom Brew, facebook.com slash Classroom Brew. We're on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Podbean, Podchaser. I can't remember all of them, but uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, We will see you next week. Uh, I'm not sure who's going to be on yet. Figure it out when the time comes. Anything else you wanted to say before it's over? Go out and make a difference. That's a good one. All right. Thanks again for being on. Class dismissed.